Well, good evening. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Psalm 90. And as we begin, I like the graphic that Mary Catherine put together for us up here on the screen. We're going to be talking about stewardship for these next couple of weeks. And uh, we all know that stewardship includes things being entrusted to us. And so for the next four Sunday evenings here in the month of January, we're going to talk about four different aspects of stewardship. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the stewardship of time. Stewardship is an interesting word. The dif- def- dic- dictionary definition, sorry about that, says the job of supervising or taking care of something. And I think all of us can think of something that we care a whole lot about, whether that's a smaller person, our child, or a possession we have, or something in that we own that we really care about. And when we feel that way about something or someone, we take extra special care of it. There are certain things, certain possessions I own, but I do not allow my children to play with. One, because they're expensive to replace, but two, because it's valuable and they don't need to use it, all right? They have cheap toys galore that they can play with. They don't need to necessarily play with the things that are more valuable to me. And so we all understand this idea of stewardship, but I want us to think about the idea of being a steward of our time. We started with our our call to worship tonight was from Psalm 139. You don't need to turn back over there. Stay at Psalm 90. But I want to reread these verses that we started with, starting in verse 13 of Psalm 139. And many of you have maybe heard this before and you're familiar with these verses. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And that last verse is the reason that I use this as our call to worship. Because God himself has given all of us a certain number of days, and he has planned out every last one. God knows each and every day that you and I have here on this earth. And for us, we understand that that means we have only a limited amount of time. And we don't know exactly how much time that is. Not every single person is allotted the same amount of time. But yet we understand from this psalm here that God is the one who has given it to us. He is the one who has decided how many days that we will have. And so the question is, how are we going to steward that time that God has given to us? That's what we want to talk about tonight. So with that, we'll flip over to Psalm 90. And we're not going to read the whole psalm, but this is a psalm 
of Moses. You can see that from the, the superscripting before verse one. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And in it, uh, maybe you're familiar with this psalm as well, but there are some really, uh, really helpful verses for us to look at tonight. I want us to look at, starting in verse 9 and down through verse 12. Verse 12 is probably one you have heard before and maybe have underlined or memorized. Starting in verse 9, Psalm 90 says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So in this psalm, Moses is saying or asking God to teach us to number our days. There's a lot of wisdom in that idea. Number our days. Lord, help us to understand that we are only here for a short amount of time. When we understand this in connection with Psalm 139, we understand that God is the one who's given us the time that we have here on this earth. And Moses in Psalm 90 is asking, God, please help us to understand how limited our time is. And here's why this is important. When we understand that we have such a finite amount of time on this earth, we start to understand how important the time is that God has given to us. God has given us that time for a reason. He's given us a very specific amount of time for a reason. And Moses is asking, and you and I should ask, God, help us to understand and to come to terms with the fact that we only have a finite amount of time here on this earth. And Lord, help us to make the best use of that time. So teach us to number our days that we may have and may get a heart of wisdom. And so we know our time is limited. And so with that being said, we need to ask the question, and the question that we're going to try and answer tonight is, what is the best way to use our time? How should we, as followers, use our time? How should we steward the time that God has given to us? And to start answering that question, I think we need to turn all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. So flip back with me to the book of Genesis. We're actually going to start in Genesis 2, and then we'll flip over to Genesis 1. If you're not familiar, Genesis 1 walks us through the different days of creation, including the sixth day of creation where God creates man and woman. Chapter 2 kind of gives us a little bit more of a detailed um, account of how God creates Adam and Eve, okay? And so there's a little bit of overlap, right? Just because it's chapter two doesn't, doesn't mean it necessarily came after what happened in chapter one, okay? So we'll start in Genesis two. Look with me at verses seven, eight, and nine. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God created Adam. He made him from the ground. God created the Garden of Eden. He made the, the trees to spring up, everything that was pleasant for sight, but also pleasant for food. And God put Adam in the garden. And it's interesting in verse 15 what God tells him or, or what the reason he put him there. To work it and to keep it. Okay? I don't know if you've read the world. We don't see too much about this before. But this is prior to when sin enters into the world. We don't see sin enter into the world until Genesis chapter 3. But yet, here in chapter 2, we see that God created Adam, and part of his design for Adam is that Adam would work in the garden. And so Adam had a job to do. He was to work the garden and to keep the garden. Okay, So there's work. And what we could do right here is just make a quick beeline to, all right, well, you and I, have to work to get by in this life, and so we better work to the best of our ability and use our time well at our jobs. And that is an application. We'll get there. But that's not the immediate application that we want to go to. Okay, so God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. Okay, Kenneth Matthews commentating on this uh, made this statement. He said, work is a God-given assignment, not a cursed condition. Don't we oftentimes feel like that's the reverse? That man, I hate, hate this job I have to go to tomorrow morning. That's just part of the curse, right? Well, not necessarily. Maybe the, work, maybe the job that we have is, is part of the curse, working with Excel spreadsheets and all that. But work in and of itself is not part of the curse. It's part of God's design for human beings. And so uh, let's flip back to Genesis chapter 1 now. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Again, another very popular verse you may be familiar with. And God blessed them. Okay, so this is right after God creates Adam and Eve. They're created in his image. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in this verse, we see that there are two things that God has told his creation, Adam and Eve, that they are to accomplish. And those two things are to multiply or fill the earth. And the other thing is to subdue it. All right, so to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, subdue is also a fascinating word. The dictionary definition, get it right that time. For subdue means to overcome or to bring under control. So God created the whole world. He created this Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden. The work that he gave for Adam specifically was to work the garden and to keep the garden, all right, to protect the garden. And now to both of them, to Adam and Eve, he said, you are to multiply or fill the earth and subdue it or bring it under control. And I think what God's initial design and creation, 
was that Adam and Eve would take the garden that God made, the beautiful garden that was perfect, there was no fault, no sin, nothing like that, and to extend the borders of that garden to the ends of the earth. I think that was God's original intention for Adam and Eve when he put them in the garden, that the work that they would be doing would be extending the garden and, in a sense, extending God's rule and God's reign from the garden all the way to cover all the ends of the earth. Because remember, Adam and Eve are the only of all of God's creation that are created in God's image. And so they are his image bearers, and they are to rule over the earth. And so I believe God's original intention for human beings was to extend God's reign and his rule from the garden, is where it started, until it covered the entire earth of his creation. Now, that is all prior to sin coming into the world. Okay, so sin changes things, we know that. We get to chapter three and we read about how the serpent comes into the garden and it tells Eve that, hey, you don't, you know, you're gonna know that God said, you don't really need to believe those, just listen, right? Eat the fruit and it's all gonna be good. You're gonna know, you're gonna be like God in knowing good and evil and, and we know how, how that plays out. So then the question is, well, after sin has entered into the world, is God's intention for you and me as his creation to rule over the whole world, is that still God's intention? And I think to answer this question, we flip to the very back of the Bible. So flip with me over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Okay, we're gonna read just a little bit here, starting in verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the, la of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia, and its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the whole city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the sephrase, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the 11th, Jacinth, and the 12th, Amethyst, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, 
For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, that's a lot that we just read, but a couple things that I want to point out to you. Number one is in verse 22, he says there's no temple in the city because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Okay, so there's no certain location that you would go to for worship like there was in the Old Testament. Secondly, in verse 23, we see that there's no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives light and its lamp is the lamb. Okay, and so it seems as if God is omnipresent. There is no need for a temple because God is everywhere. He's covering the entire place. His glory is the light that, it, that extends to the, every edge of the city. All right, It is fully encompassing. And verse 27 tells us that there is nothing unclean that will ever enter the city. So it seems like what Revelation is telling us here in Revelation 21 is that the initial intention of creation, that God's glory would fill the entire earth and cover it, has come to fulfillment in the new Jerusalem. In God's new creation, God is ruling over every inch. Nothing wrong that we see here. His reign is over everything. There is no evil. There is nothing wrong inside of it. And so I think we can safely assume that God's intention for us as his image bearers to take his name and to, to extend his reign over the entirety of the earth is still God's plan for us. That is what God has desired for us to do. And so, if that is true, then we ask ourselves, then how is the best way to use our time? If, if we are truly trying to participate in what God is doing in extending his reign over the entire earth, then how do we best use the time that he has given us on this earth? So I have a couple observations. This is not by any means an exhaustive list, but I think it's six helpful things to help us think through stewardship, of our, the, the stewardship of our time. The first is we should read our Bible. Look with me at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. God's word will lead us and it will guide us. In God's word, he reveals himself to us. And so if our goal as a believer is to help extend God's reign over the world, that happens through God saving people. That happens, God saves people through you and I being witnesses to the truth. And if we're gonna be a witness to the truth, we need to know the truth. And so one thing that's gonna always be a very good use of your time is reading the Bible. We need to know what God has told us about him. God has revealed to us the things that we need to know about him, 
about the world that we live in, about the state that we find ourselves in, that's the state of sinfulness. God has revealed all that to us in his word. And the psalmist tells us here in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we are going to be effective in extending God's rule and God's reign throughout the world, we have got to know him. And we have got to spend time reading our Bibles. And so I promise you that as you think about stewarding your time and what, what's the best thing I can do with the time that I have, it is never a waste of time to open your Bible and to read it. Listen, I understand. We live in a culture that is go, 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 busy, busy, busy. I have a lot of things on my little checklist that I need to get done. Things for work, things for home, things for church, just things in general that need to be done. And it's really, really easy to put away or to forsake some Bible reading time for the sake of trying to get something done so that I can check off a box and say I did it. And I know every single one of us in this room feel that pressure because it oftentimes feels like if I just sit here and open this Bible and read it, I'm not gonna get any of these things done that I need to get done. And that to us feels like a waste of time, doesn't it? But I promise you, if you understand that what God's design for you as an individual is to extend his rule and his reign throughout all the world, it is never a waste of time to read what he has told us about himself. Reading your Bible is an absolute beautiful way for you to use your time and to steward your time. And one that, that's my first observation. My second observation, and one that oftentimes we can be tempted to think is even a bigger waste of time, is praying. Praying is a wonderful use of your time. Flip over with me to Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus himself said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you're ever tempted to think that sitting down and opening up your Bible to read it is a waste of time, I know you have felt like to sit somewhere and to close your eyes and bow your head and, and, and speak silently to yourself, man, we are conditioned as Americans to think that is a waste of time. So many other things that we can get done, but we have to be reminded. Our goal as Christians, as believers, is not to be as productive as we can possibly be in this earth. 
It's to extend God's rule and God's reign over all of the earth. That's why I spent so much time talking about Genesis and Revelation to make that point clear because we need to understand that is what truly matters for our lives. It's one of the ways extending God's rule and God's reign to the end of the earth and praying is one of the ways that that is going to happen. Spending time in prayer is one of the ways that God is going to work through that to make his name known among all nations. So praying is always a wonderful use of your time. That is a great way to steward the time that you have is to spend time praying. Third, attending church. We can oftentimes be tempted to think, Man, there's a lot of other things I could get done if I wasn't occupied for three to four hours on a Sunday morning. A lot of people think this way. We need to make sure we understand that gathering together with the people of God is not a waste of time. Not if you understand what God, the task that God has given us to do. You don't necessarily need to turn there. I've got it here in my notes. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews warns us, don't neglect meeting together. We need to spend time being together because one of the things that happens when we're together is we are reminding ourselves of what our purpose is. I need you all to remind me that, hey, Jake, you're not here for your own personal growth and personal glorification. You are here to extend God's rule and reign to the ends of the earth. And I need to remind you all of that because if we're honest with ourselves, we forget that a lot. Or we honestly maybe don't even think that at all. But we need to spend time gathering together as the church. It is never a waste of time to come to a church gathering and to be with God's people and to worship him together. That is always a good way to steward your time. Number four, he says, to encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just like we need to come together, we need to see each other, we need to remind each other of our purpose, we need to be encouraging one another. The reality of living in this life is that sin is everywhere. As God said to Cain after he uh, uh, killed Abel, or he was, he was mad at Abel, I think it was before he killed him, right? he said, sin is crouching at your door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is everywhere. We need to be encouraging one another not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of that sin. Don't believe the lie of what that sin promises to give you because it cannot deliver. And you and I need to spend our time encouraging one another. Look for someone that you know may be struggling. Look for someone that you know needs to be built up and spend time encouraging them, building them up, going after them, trying to build them back up. That is never a waste of the time that you have. That is always valuable. That is time well spent that will be, uh, have eternal dividends, eternal rewards. We need to spend time encouraging one another. 
Number five, we need to live on mission. The Great Commission, Jesus told us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded, and behold, he has promised to be with us always to the end of the age. Now, this is going to look different for everybody. This does not mean that every single person in this room, if we want to be good stewards of our time, that we have to go overseas to do something like that. It doesn't mean that. God will call three young to go overseas. We're seeing that here at our church uh, now. We're seeing three young couples, the Hoovers, the Hughes, and the Harrods, that God has called them specifically. He's given them a desire internally to want to go overseas into a foreign context and to give their lives in that way for the sake of making his name known among the whole earth. But that's not the calling that he's put on everybody's life. So for some of us in here, maybe your calling, right, the way for you to live missionally is to be a missionary to your neighbor, to the people who live right next to you who do not know the name of Jesus, who do not believe in the name of Jesus, but for you to be a witness to, of Jesus to those people, to bring the knowledge of Jesus to people who've not believed or who've never heard. Those people are all around us. There is no shortage of people living among us and near us that need to hear the gospel message. So living on mission may oftentimes look like that for us. Living on mission may also look like parents discipling their children. Samantha and I are in the midst of this. We feel the weight of this. There's a lot of other young families here in our church with young children that are also in the midst of this. And we feel this very much so. It is a very good use of our time to sit down with our children and read a children's Bible and explain to them what we're reading. It is a really good use of our time to sit down and try and memorize scripture verses with our children and teach them why it's important to hide God's word in our heart. That is a really good use of our time because what that's doing is that's not only taking the word of God to people who have not believed it, Right? My children, none of my children have professed faith in Jesus. We're continuing to pray and to work to that end. But it's hopefully God is answering those prayers and making them believe, giving them faith, and raising them up to heard before continue that work, who continue to bring the name of Jesus to people who've not heard before, to the working towards that ultimate end of God's name being known and believed on throughout the entire world. So we all, no matter what context we may find ourselves in, no matter what opportunities you may have, we need to be spending our time living on mission, having specific conversations about the gospel with people that need to hear it. That's gonna look different for all of us. And lastly, number six, we need to spend time resting. In Genesis, the very first, uh, very first few verses of Genesis chapter two, we read that in six days, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. He rested from all the work that he did in creation. Was God tired? No. Had he overextended himself? 
No. But God was done with the work that he had done, and so he rested. And when we get the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you know the reason that uh, Moses gives to the Israelite people for why we are to uh, take the Sabbath day as a day of rest? He says, because in six days God created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And so he says, and likewise, you work for six days and then observe the Sabbath because you need rest. You see, rest is, is twofold. In one sense, we need rest because our bodies are feeble, they're weak, and if we try and go nonstop, there's gonna be consequences. There are gonna be very negative consequences to that. We just can't do that. Our bodies are built to where we need the rest that God has commanded us to take. But the second thing, the second aspect of rest, specifically in this context, is that when we rest, we need to be reminded that God is continuing to do that work of extending his name to the far ends of the earth, even as we are resting. And why that's important is because it reminds us that God completing this goal of his name being known throughout the entire world, the weight of that happening does not rest on your shoulders or my shoulders. We can rest knowing that God is going to continue the work that he is doing that it's not all dependent on you and me and that we just have to go, 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 grind, grind, grind in order for that to happen. God is going to make that happen. We read that in Revelation 21. That is a reality that will happen. That's not only a if you and I work hard enough. That is, it's set in stone. God said it's gonna happen and so we know without a shadow of a doubt it will happen. But you and I, as created beings need rest. And we need not feel guilty about taking it because God has commanded that we take it. You see, when we think about the limited amount of time that we have, God, help us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There are some things that we can do that we know are never a waste of time. Reading our Bible, praying, attending church, encouraging one another, living on mission, and resting. Don't forget rest. Rest is so essential and important, we all need it. Don't ever feel guilty for taking rest, but be reminded that God rested on the seventh day of creation because he knew you and I, his created beings, needed rest. And that is never a waste of time. Now, we could get into the whole conversation of laziness, right, abusing that. But that, and so when we think that's not for tonight, that's for another time. But rest is a good thing. And so when we think about stewardship, specifically as it relates to the time that God has given us on this earth, all of us have no idea how many more days we have. Josh has taught me to say this at every funeral. Death is certain. We will all die. Death is very uncertain. We don't know when. So how should we utilize the time that we have from now until whenever? Read your Bible. Pray. Attend church. Encourage one another. Live on mission. And spend some time resting. 
Those are all wonderful uses of your time that you will never regret. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that as we consider this idea of the fact that we've been given a limited amount of time, it's a wonderful privilege that you have given to us to be a part of your creation, to be a part of your plan to make your name known to the ends of the earth. And God, I pray that we would take very seriously what it means to be a good steward of the time that you've given to us. God, we know, Psalm Psalm 139 tells us that before there was even a single day of our lives, you knew every last one of them. God, you know when, when you will take us home. Until that time comes, Lord, help us to be faithful to steward our time well. And God, we ask your blessing on all of us as we seek to do that. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you all for being here. You all are dismissed.